Live. I'm Jake Krez, and we have a special guest again tonight. We are here with the one and only Kevin Koval. What's up, y'all? Writer, poet, uh, leader of other writers and poets. Uh, a fellow novelist. comrade. Like, how many uh, dashes do you have? Uh, uh, you know, hopefully like a fellow homie of the <laughs> masses. Homie as well. Yeah, yeah. Good friend. Yeah. Good, good family member. There you go. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks Mary. for having me, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout yeah. out to Congrats. Studios. Yes, uh, always. Having us as well. Mike Kolar. Salutes to Mike Kolar. Uh, Boathouse helping set up too. Yeah, man. Good, good, good dude. But, a talented uh, musician. Talented musician. He also sets up in the moon night. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> I feel very comfortable. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man. Thanks for stopping by on a, what is it, Thursday night? Yeah, thank you. Um, get into it real quick you've been very busy as always uh popping up in bonobos ads uh <laughs> writing books yeah um, tell me a little bit about this latest book that you've got out in the streets right now we were at the i was at the opening it was at chop shop correct? awesome thank yeah. you yeah man thanks for coming of course yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh it's called everything must go the life and death of an american neighborhood it looks like this there it is. um and Let's it was word it was illustrated uh by a very talented young artist named langston alston um so he did the cover work but also it's based off of graphic novels and uh, comic books and so you know langston did stuff like this in the book and really tricked it out and essentially what the book is about is wicker park in the 90s uh basically like 94 charts maybe 94 to 2001 which is when i lived in and around the neighborhood mm -hmm. and uh, just kind of documenting the transition of that neighborhood and what i saw go from a working class Latinx and Polish and Ukrainian neighborhood to a kind of neo-bohemia for working class artists to something then that no one I knew could afford anymore. Mm -hmm. And this is a process that's not unique to Wicker Park at all. It's not unique to Chicago. You know, something that is kind of complicating cities across the planet. Yeah. And so I wanted to, you know, just kind of you know, kind of remember who was there and, and why the neighborhood meant so much to me and, and maybe raise some questions about what kind of neighborhoods and cities are we trying to build. And I mean, that's a super interesting question to ask right now, too. I mean, uh, I live in Pilsen right now, and, I, and you said just, like, moved to Uptown. Um, both areas that are seeing, like, we were just talking uh, Uptown now isn't Uptown in the 90s. Yeah. But Pilsen now isn't Pilsen in the 90s either, and I know no. there's a lot of stress down there about um, – you know, rising rents, and you can see it spilling uh, west down 18th Street. Um, yeah. Do you find that what you experienced Wicker Park in the 90s and into today kind of is a microcosm or maybe larger of what is to come or what is currently happening in a lot of these places? I do, and, and, and I remember in the 90s there were mayoral conferences where they would hold up Wicker Park as an example of how to gentrify a neighborhood. And they were using that like positively at the time. Yeah, but yeah, but but uh, but it was. kind of like. But no, no, yeah. but it, but it was it was used by real estate developers and okay. politicians. You know, right. people who I, yeah. kind of were doing that work of urban planning, but planning a neighborhood for the few as opposed to the many. Mm -hmm. And so they were using it as an example of basically how to flip a neighborhood right. from working class to a, a a neighborhood that is able to attract tech companies and boutiques and then ultimately larger corporate dollars right. and developers and, and things like that so um they used it as a good example but it's it depends what side you're sitting on you know if you can no longer afford 
rent there if you are you know in the neighborhood renting for 20 years 10 years and then your rent uh, which happened to me it, it, it you know it, it goes up 20 25 percent 30 percent a year mm -hmm. then it becomes you know uh, um, unaffordable to live there Absolutely. and and you know my experience and the experience of some of the people that I knew there it was indicative of of that neighborhood but it's certainly not not again unique to us and unique to the neighborhood so it is intended to be itself i mean it's a it's a realist portrait in my memory of of what was happening but it is meant to be kind of a metaphor for uh, what is happening now uh, very much yeah and i mean it is so interesting to talk about like the topic of wood when you walk around the city and i don't you talk about building the city for few rather than the many and when you walk around the city it does seem that way you know you see uh corporations buying up downtown to the point where there's not even like any commercial life downtown anymore yeah. uh that's creeping out of downtown even more uh wicker park i mean there's closed the 7-eleven closed yeah like i don't know how 7-eleven on the corner right there closes it you know what i mean right. um yeah how does wicker park not have a corner store anymore that's crazy right you know uh every bar is like a like a Soho house type bar. Right. Where do you see this all going? I mean, I have this conversation with a lot of my friends and uh, stuff around the city. And I mean, it seems like I feel as though a bubble has to pop. People yeah. keep talking about 2020. And I wonder what the city's going to look like if it does. Because, you know, there's a lot of projects that weren't finished back in 2008. Uh, the whole West Side, pretty much that Roosevelt uh, corridor. Yeah. Um, where do you see this kind of, do you see like projected future for what's going to happen? Or well, you're right. I, th I think that all of us have a really important part to play. You know, I think mm -hmm. that you know, we vote in a lot of ways every day with how we spend our time, where we spend our money, who we put in office. And I think, you know, the people, the future of the city will look like. And, you know, I was walking down the street here. I got off the bus at Damon and walked Chicago Ave and, you know, dipped in like a few of the local stores. And, and one of the things that one of the women uh, was saying, who is a merchant at the store, she's said that it isn't as populated of a street anymore chicago avenue is, right. is what it was even five years ago and i think that you know she said she said i fear the future of all amazon boxes essentially you know and or she said something like that yeah. um and i think like well it's a good question you know what kind of future city do we want to live in do we want to live in a small neighborhood where we know one another where we know local business owners where we spend our dollars locally or do we want a monotony of monoculture and to me i, I kind of am fearful of that monotony because not only have i seen probably too many you know dystopic science you know yeah, fiction absolutely. fantasy uh shows or novels but but i also think that monoculture leads to a kind of fascism at least of ideas maybe you know and i want us to be resistant of those ideas because i think um, the metaphor i've been thinking about and using when i've been talking about the book is not that i'm a farmer or know anything about farming but uh you know monocrops are bad for the soil they they will dead the soil after you but know if you, if you just just corn right. soybeans you know agribusiness is ultimately bad for the earth but when you have uh, you know, multiple crops growing on a, you know, patch of land, that soil becomes very rich in nutrients. Mm. And I think that is a metaphor for how culture works too. You know, if it's only, you know, one of the same, if you only have, you know, you know, doctor's office, architectural firms and real estate offices along Chicago Avenue or any street, right. uh, you know, then, then what kind of public culture are we building and who is also able to be in that neighborhood and I, I don't know th the thing that I loved about Wicker in the day yeah. and part of the reason why I like wrote the book 
as much as it's a lament, it's also a celebration because I was looked after by folks on the street that had a vibrant street culture. I would step out on Milwaukee Avenue mm -hmm. and people would yell my name and I would feel like I was, you know, people like, damn, I don't really know anyone in this neighborhood, but like a homie on the street is looking out for me. Like he said my name today. Right. That was the only person that said my name today. And then I started to learn, you know, the names of other people and it felt like a community, you know? I mean, that's what it was, right? Right. Inherently. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's interesting you bring this up because I was actually having this thought the other day, uh, just thinking about like, the rise of social media on top of that you know what i mean like there's there's kind of a lack of growing up in a bubble anymore you know like nobody just like grows up like when i was a kid even in the 90s it was like you grew up and like ran out in your backyard and like scraped your knee and like figured stuff out when like other kids in the neighborhood figured it out you know someone got a cd like that's how you figured out about that artist or something like that uh, I feel like that's like gone completely by the wayside. And when you talk about monoculture, like uh, you're good at putting terms to things. I think mm. um, that's Thanks. a great way to describe that because I think that's happening on many levels right now. And we are getting to this point where like everyone listens to the same song, everyone sees the same thing, everyone's exposed to the same like idea or joke, and there's not like kind of a pocket anymore. Fam, I'm on the bus here uh, along Chicago Avenue. Man, all of us were just we're just stuck. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're just like head down, we're, you know what I mean? We're just like in our air pods or whatever, <laughs> and we're we're locked. We're locked yeah. in. It's like the bubble is actually like the bubble of self, you know. And it's just a, you know, it's just like everything is being fed very rapidly towards that self. Mm -hmm. But it's a self then that might reflect, you know, that idea of monoculture. And right. if you absorb that, then maybe you are you remain in that bubble. And you're right. Like we do need a culture of people who are actively resisting and thinking outside of that bubble and box yeah you know? i mean it's, it's almost cannibalistic in a way too right like uh you have so many brands and so many people and so many artists talking about culture 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 and like you're almost like excavating a corpse that's been like dug out you know what i mean because you have to create culture for it to be mined but if you're not creating any then there's kind of a well that's the thing man i think so you know I, both <laughs> of us both of us are you know we we are actively a part of real live people to people culture right. and you can't fabricate that you know what i mean no, like like all, right? and and i think therein lies the solution in some ways and right. like like it's i think it's when people build with one another mm -hmm. when people sit down have conversations like this platforms like this um but also then when people gather in public space to experience something together you know whether that's a show that you know you might be able to see on IG, let's say, sure. but you don't experience it in the same way. And I, and I think what what I what I believe in is the retention of you know very local community building, mm -hmm. and the import of that local community. You know because I think therein lies some of the you know differentiation between what is happening. You know it's why f you know something like footwork is such a special thing in the landscape culturally because it's it's you know something that sure like you could trace and do a lineage and you know kind of physical etymology of that dance to you know the planet mm -hmm. but it's something that resides in a very particular way Absolutely. with a particular history in right. chicago and to me i love things like that and i'm always attracted to that kind of specificity i think because i'm a poet so i love that kind of you know yeah, minutia mm -hmm. but to me it's like that's how we resist monoculture is like being very cognizant of what's around us and inventive then in that way no it's, i mean i think uh, obviously you're out doing that every day and like uh, helping breed a whole next generation of people who do that as well um but you mentioned like uh going to shows and going to places and it kind of bring it back to the book and back to wicker park a little bit you know the double door going away for uh yo <laughs> for, for uh, 
a Yeti store. store. Yeah, what what it, Yeti? Because I went, you know, I'm I'm Jewish, and so when I read, it, I thought it was Yenti, which is like you know your aunt who talks too much or something like that. <laughs> um, I think that's patriarchal or misogynist, sexist for sure. But uh, I think it's like Yiddish for like nag or some okay. some shit. I don't know. Kind of works. Yeah, but it's not it's not that. It's not a store. It's just like grandmas. Like nagging grandmas. I don't think so. Okay. I haven't been there yet. All right, word. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah for like a refrigerator store, but i mean uh that's like pulling the teeth right out of the what the old wicked park that you uh you yeah 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 man no i know it was that was that was sad i mean that's the thing is like i think you know depending on where you're at you can mark the beginning and end of a lot of things and, yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. like these things are cyclical and um but yeah certainly that that was a moment uh there were so many important places that i got my start in both as a writer mm -hmm. and also as just like a young hip-hop fan in wicker you know because sure, there yeah. were so many venues that you could go to open mics you know maybe i mean many days of the week you know where where i got on venues that would host both spaces for poets but also for rappers for for b-boys and b-girls uh and it was like an, an emergent and young culture you know and i was privy to that and there were public spaces where we could go find one another gather and that was new you know there was there, there wasn't a time before that when i was younger younger coming up there were very few spaces that you could go to that were public that had hip-hop at its center right. as a cultural space you know and so when places in wicker and other places around the city began to do that it was this you know it was like oh my god finally like i might have some friends you know what i mean well, it's interesting you say that because like i talked to a lot of people my age and like younger than me and it doesn't feel as though there's that epicenter anymore like even when like i was younger it was it was still the the northern part of wicker it was still like the the logan square thing was still kind of coming along yeah rest in peace east room <laughs> right yeah, geez, right? yeah. Man, yeah talk about something going away yeah um that didn't even have that long of a run. No. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But um, it's a club. Club life is, is, yeah, is small, yeah. you know. R.I.P. Lumen and all the rest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From back in the day. Um, but I would say that, wh where would you say it kind of resides now? Like, do you feel like Chicago's kind of got a scattered artist community? I feel like there's not as many places you walk down the street. Like, I remember walking through Pilsen and seeing Mick walking around, you know, driving his car and seeing Jamila walking through the street and like just different people I would have in my iPod would be walking around and you yeah. don't see that as much anymore. I feel like there's kind of been a disconnect and I feel like you kind of see it a little bit in the artistry too right now. I mm. feel like we're not as like consistent as we were, but mm. I feel like, you know, there's a little chain like kind of maybe broken, not a, not unfixable. And I have a way to bring this all back to the positive side. But no, that's no, um, that's a that great question. Like recognize it all? I think about it a lot, you yeah. know, and, and yeah, I think that, um, you know, it, it was in the last, this this was a great run for Chicago. The mm -hmm. the decade was a gr it was a great decade for, for Chicago. Yeah. Um, but if we want the same energy vibrancy, we have to reorganize and recenter ourselves. Part of what's happened is that there have been a lot of people, you know, some, and this is a something that's endemic in Chicago's history is that some of the best and brightest go toward the lure of industry on the coast, mm -hmm. and that has happened recently. Um, it's happened throughout the decade yeah. but uh, I think about some of the folks who have been so integral in this moment and now they no longer live here right. and I understand it completely and we need more places like this like like soundscape to you know and and more platforms like this uh, to to put on for our own and mm -hmm. also keep our own and so I think that will be a struggle that we find in this next decade is how do we as a city preserve and not you know not be beholden to the lure of the coast 
not be uh, building a culture that doesn't account for creatives who can afford to live here and mm -hmm. afford to make here, which is part of a, a, big, a big deal of it. Like it's the city is getting very costly. It's much more expensive to live in the neighborhoods that we've been talking about, right. which is some of the sites that young artists will gather and make and make in together in community, mm -hmm. which I think is part of where the energy comes from, Absolutely. you know, and I think we've certainly, I think you're right that there has been, we've lost some of that. There's been a shift. I mean, you know, I, I'm very lucky because I get to see where a pulse is every oh, week at young Chicago authors and, and kind of threading that needle between, and, yeah. and it stays very fresh. And mm -hmm. so Tuesday night, like I'm never worried about the state of culture in Chicago right, because yeah. every Tuesday I'm like, Oh, it's actually in really good hands. And yeah, these young people stay are very dope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, okay, we're actually very good, but, um, I, I am interested in how we scale being good and keep your generation and, and a generation younger than you mm. here, you know, because I, I, I think that that is going to make the difference in the city, uh, in, the, in, the, in the city's future. Mm -hmm. Well, and you have been such like a, you have offered such a breeding ground for young talent here in the city uh, through Young Chicago Authors. I mean, I remember seeing Saba for the first time there back in like 2013 when he was still doing open mics and that thinking back on that to me is still crazy yeah um yeah well and his when his his crew rolled up you know and and i just um i was able to red bull asked me to write a piece for the john walt day which oh, yeah. I, i'm really proud of uh nichelle and john wall foundation mm -hmm. and just can't believe the impact that they've had and her ability to persevere and, and do something in her son's name that is so powerful that has will have now and will continue to have such a deep reverberation in the creative lives of young people in the city Absolutely. um but I, I was reflecting on when i first remember seeing pivot as a crew come and storm the stage and mm -hmm. just be down for one another you know and really big up one another and that kind of brotherhood and uh community that they formed with them amongst themselves but also what the spirit that they infused into the space like i think for me i, I think we still benefit as a community from what they gave to that space you know? absolutely yeah i mean i just remember even if it wasn't saba if it was someone that like never rapped or did a poem again after that it was like the energy in the space i remember being nervous i was like 23 yeah <laughs> yeah. Know, like, yeah yeah i remember being nervous when i walked in there and i wasn't doing anything i was just in, like kind of observing and i remember like man i I need to get my, I need to write good, I need to go home. <laughs> yeah, you know I, mean? I need to get my bars up. I know, yeah, I know, exactly. I know, like, exactly. It was an intimidating space to be in, but in a For good real. way, you know. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think about, like, No Name, who's, like, kind of seen all sides, been around, and, and someone that you were uh, very early on working with, um, kind of taking a step away. She's kind of choosing a new spot, and I think that's also an interesting thing to talk about with Chicago artists, is the um, not being afraid to take a step in the direction you want. You know, you see Chance, everybody's kind of made their own moves. Um, no Names has been an interesting one. I think it's one that's appropriate, honestly. Uh, did you, is that something you've been following? Oh, yeah. No, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a giant fan, and I'm a giant fan of hers and, and her mom's. And her mom, you know, used to run a uh, black bookstore at 47th and King. Mm -hmm. And so her move into the, the book club arena right. is really dope and really powerful. And, yeah. uh, you know, to me, it's like it's a very natural evolution. I mean, you know, my big... Um, hope with no name is that uh, you know she always writes because she's one of my favorite writers of any genre you know Absolutely. I just I really just love her as a, as a poet or mm -hmm. as a rapper or as you know somebody who is putting together language in a way that is profound you know mm -hmm. and I also think she is coming into her, her own as a young intellectual and I really just admire her 
vulnerability uh, in a public sphere when she has such a large platform to to be herself and to go to be able to go in a different direction or other directions and not be boxed in and and the book club is fresh you know like i just i really admire what they're doing and they're getting people to read some really great important texts and you know yeah right yeah 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 but also you know what they're what they're selecting i mean i i you know i haven't stayed up with like every month but like they definitely are putting people on to shit that is important and uh yeah i mean who knows you know i I think that all of us are trying to figure out uh you know what we're doing and i think she's having a, a go at it i think the difficulty of being someone i would imagine of being someone like her chance people who have such large public platforms is that you know you develop a you develop a lane you develop a fan base and then sometimes if you veer outside of that lane people are trepidatious but you know these are incredibly talented genius young artists and so i think we should be like yo if you want to move toward that that is probably going to be like dope you know what i mean like yeah. that yeah i mean it doesn't seem like there's a lot of bounds on this project i guess at the moment shouldn't be you know? yeah, yeah yeah i don't know we, yeah, we could do we could do a lot yeah, yeah we're <laughs> like we stay fresh regardless <laughs> of category yeah <laughs> um well i gotta say one thing i wanted to mention was that back when i was like a junior in college when i was 2011 something like that um i was on my way out of school but i was taking a nonfiction writing class and i had uh Dries goodwin come through my class. yes and yes. it's crazy to think about that. I always think about that in context. Like when I was at your book release, I was thinking about that in context. And him and uh, Felicia, his wife, was uh, my teacher at the time. What? And Wait, where? Where is this? University of Iowa. Yeah, I never told you the story. I, you've mentioned it, but yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know that Felicia was your teacher. Felicia was my teacher. Dope. She's I raw. I actually failed a nonfiction writing class because the teacher didn't like me. So Felicia? I had to retake, oh, okay. no, no, I had to retake <laughs> it, and I ended up getting Felicia, which was like random circumstances. But uh, Idris came in and told us about breakbeat poetry. And I remember, like, <laughs> it was in the back of my head, and then it kept coming up. And then I met you, like, once I got to the city and started writing stories. And so for me, it's been crazy. This is about a decade of me knowing about being aware of breakbeat poetry. And when you talk about uh, the last decade you've been, what is, like, some highlights, you know? Like, you've taken this thing to think, like, back then when Idris came to my school and talked to a class about breakbeat poetry to the point is that now yeah i think that you've really opened up a lane and for a lot of people um and it's been i mean i can't believe it's been that long to be honest but i know it's really a thing now you know back then yeah. it was a, i think it was more it wasn't it was already no it was, it was an idea yeah it was an idea and i think now you can you can look that up online and it's a tangible real thing what does that mean to you or what's been kind of the no the that's journey, like? that's cool kind of loaded question no that's cool man i appreciate <laughs> i appreciate that i appreciate you saying that and, and for the question yeah man i mean i think we you know idris is the homie and felicia is the homie and um i think idris and i have just an ongoing conversation about what we're doing as a you know as an inheritor of hip-hop cultural practice as a participant in in the culture like we it's just like an ongoing generational question about what are we doing yeah. and what are the what, what are the aesthetics mm-hmm. and so you know he came up with that phrase in conversation probably somewhere around 07 okay. right and that's when we kind of i'm like because i was working i knew i wanted to do an anthology and we just stayed talking about it and so to go from there to him you know both of us i think dreaming about it in the you know early part of the last decade and then the first anthology came out in 2015 and subsequently we ha- now have an imprint and a, and a press and it, it uh on haymarket books and it, it is it is a thing you know it's yeah. a, and it's been powerful and i think that we're just getting started um it feels that way you know that we have a lot to do because i think we started it and we we kind of want to gather one another because we are 
very concerned with the maintenance of a counter narrative you know and and i think hip-hop has done that historically has been a space where you can be assured that you will receive a counter narrative it's a space that is in my mind um very elastic and radically democratic mm-hmm. uh, and so a lot of people can have a, a voice in the cipher and so we want to do that in the world of literature but also want to do that in other spaces too you know i mean we right now we're publishing books but um, very interested in, in other spaces and, and, you know, curating art shows and doing, getting into film and television and stuff like that. So I think like we're at the beginning of, of hopefully what will be a wider and wider space for people with different ideas to speak to a broader public. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's super important. Um, what would you look at as like the last 10 years kind of what's like maybe a proudest moment for you? Whether it's like a proud dad moment or a proud moment for yourself, like what's one moment you kind of look back at and, uh, over this last decade? I know we're getting to that. I'm getting to that time. It's December. Yeah. No, I know. You know. Um, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I think I think a the thing a thing that um, Idris tells me a, about a lot is that um, you know we're we're able to feed other people. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know both at YCA and breakbeat stuff and just all of the different curatorial opportunities I get to put money in artists hands you know I just I I want to always make the case for people who I think are dope and I am proud of that and that's something I want to do a lot more of Mm -hmm. is being able to um, you know one carve out the time that I have the opportunity to make and then also be able to shine the light elsewhere too you know Um, and so yeah, I, I want to continue to grow and be better at that, and it's also something that I, I feel good about, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't want to keep you too long. No, it's okay, yeah. Peppering you. But uh, it is also, one of your other endeavors, 20 years for uh, Louder Than a Bomb, yeah. another decade situation. Yeah. Um, again, putting another space together for people to like shine a light on uh, talents and show people that they can express themselves on the stage. What... Um, what can people expect from the 20th year? I mean, you guys have taken, when you talk about building something, breakbeat poetry is one thing. Louder Than a Bomb is a whole other one. That, that thing has really exploded across the country. Um, what would you say is like uh, something you're looking forward to this time around? Is there just some big surprises in store? Yeah, I mean, I think there'll be, you know, I, I, I think the thing that I'm hoping and I'm looking forward to is that there will be alum who come back, you know, people I, I maybe have not seen for a long time. And I'm always excited to, you know, keep in tune with who's doing what and where everyone has gone and the ways people kind of use the space to do other things. Like Chris Classic told me a great story about in high school being around louder than a bomb. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't know him. And I, I think he was like hanging out with the Lane Tech team or something like that. But he told me and I, you know, I don't know how accurate this is or whatever, but he was like, yeah, he's like, I started Classic Studios in part because I wanted that same kind of community that I was getting at louder than a bomb in this space you know whatever that's cool. and so yeah something like that is like always like it's not really related but mm-hmm. it's you know it's like energy breeds energy Absolutely. and uh so i'm I, I want you know i like hearing stories like that but but really the thing about a lot of the bomb that i'm excited about every year is i just i get to meet a whole new crew of very very talented young writers who have a lot to say who are very brave who put on for one another uh just a great great group of you know, hundreds and up up toward a thousand kids, you know, and so that is the best thing that I think 
you know we do in some ways is 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 that just gathering of not only the students who will be on stage but their peers their teachers their parents the communities that they come from and you know all happening throughout you know that like a, now like a three month time frame mm-hmm. uh, in the city is is I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing everyone you know well I think you know it's it's interesting when you like say all that too because uh, we started this conversation talking about needing spaces uh, for community and basically yeah. you're constantly so no one you know stroke of genius to like have a problem and ask so like offer a solution <laughs> yeah. um, so it's good to I'm glad you're out here making <laughs> yeah, solutions thanks. Like constantly making solutions um, I don't want to keep you too much longer man it's cold oh, it's all good yeah no I pre- yeah 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 but uh, thank you so much for stopping by thank you man uh, appreciate the time everybody, you space. can find Kevin Koval uh, K Koval you'll find him everywhere just google the guy He's yeah no, yeah yeah IG at Kevin Koval, Twitter at Kevin Koval, C O V A L. Yeah, no, I'm going to be playing Fortnite. Yeah, Fortnite <laughs> with my nephew. <laughs> yeah, um, well, yeah, we'll be back again, but this has been Kevin Koval. I'm Jake Krez, as always. It's been Mild Sauce Live, and we are out from Soundscape Studios. Thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate you. Mild Sauce. Mild Sauce. Mild Sauce.